0: Hello and welcome to episode 117 of The Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Cliff Corcoran. Cliff is a writer for The Athletic and a contributor to MLB Network as well. Cliff, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, we are one day away from opening day. We're going to do a season preview episode. But before we get into a team-by-team analysis, I wanted to ask you about the extension craze we've seen over the last two weeks. What do you think this means for free agency in the long term? You know,
1: my gut reaction, I think, is similar to the one that a lot of other people have had, which is that this is... Felt like some sort of end game for the slow market we've had the last couple off seasons. That you know the strategy among owners was to suppress the free agent market and then convince their players to sign below market extensions. Uh, you know to keep them from switching teams and and that this all felt like part of one thing. But but I you know I read an interesting article on the Ringer uh, by Ben Lindbergh and Mike Bauman that that Ben laid out some charts that said you know what feels like a lot. Is really just that this has all happened in the last couple weeks. We've gotten so many high-profile extensions. In terms of total number of extensions or total dollars or even, I think, total years, what we've seen is not that extreme. It's in line with recent seasons, and it's below maybe five years ago. You know, I, I remember the extension trend. To me, I first really noticed it when Buster Posey signed his extension with the Giants, which was before the twenty thirteen season. And according to Ben's numbers, it was even the, the offseason before that saw the, the largest number and uh, of extensions, you know, for players. So so it could be that it's just kind of a, a perception bias that Harper signed and we've been have this anxiety about the free agent market. And then we see all these high-profile players sign these extensions, and we start to freak out a little bit. At the same time, what, what I think is makes this unique and different is the quality of the players. So we have really seen the, the absolute top of you know, players who are due to become free agents in the short term uh, sign extensions that have wiped out their free agency. We've seen Mike Trout, who's the best player in baseball, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, who you could argue are the two best players in the National League, the two defending Cy Young Award winners, the two best pitchers in the in the American League that didn't win the Cy Young last year, which is Verlander and Sale, uh, to see all of the— plus Alex Bregman, who was a breakout MVP candidate uh, last year, and maybe even you could go down to Eloy Jimenez, who's arguably one of the top five or even top three prospects in baseball, to see players that are at the top sign these extensions, and to have Mike Trout say— you know, I saw what happened with with Bryce and Manny, and I just didn't want any part of it. He used the word red flag. Um, that altogether makes you think, okay, maybe there is something exceptional, something different going on here uh, that does play into that kind of narrative of, you know, the suppressing of of free agency to bring about these extensions. And and also when you look at things, you know, we're not, we're not seeing a huge acceleration in total value in average annual value, you know, there is particularly, I always go back to the A-Rod, the first A-Rod contract where his average annual value was $25 million a year. Well, that was 18 years ago. We should be seeing much larger numbers now uh, than we have been. We're starting to see the overall percentage of uh, revenues that goes to player salaries decrease. So there's still A lot of concern here, but uh, I will
0: admit that that uh, the charts that Ben Lindbergh presented did did kind of bring me back off the ledge a little bit. Well, let's start doing our preview. We'll hit on every team quickly. Last year, the Red Sox had a historic season. They obviously won the World Series. They won 108 games during the regular season. And this year during the offseason, they really didn't do much. They had no major acquisition. They lost Joe Kelly, and they seemingly have lost Craig Kimbrell. He hasn't signed anywhere, but the Red Sox haven't really expressed an interest. So they lost two major bullpen pieces, and other than that, are going back with the same team. Your thoughts on what the Red Sox can do this year?
1: But, you know the Red Sox, for all the recent success, haven't had back-to-back pennant winners. They've only done it once in their history, 1915, 1916. We haven't had consecutive, you know, back-to-back champions, uh, consecutive championships for one team since the Yankees in uh, 98 to 2000. So repeating is very difficult. And they had uh, the three players have career years last year: J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, and Xander Bogarts. Two of those guys are only 26, so they could repeat. Um, but it's just likely just the nature of baseball, the nature of life that it's, the, there's going to be a little regression there. You lose a couple of top end guys in the bullpen, and also the the Red Sox overachieved. You know, if you look at third order record, they were more of a 99 now 91 nine wins. That's amazing. But the Yankees were also a 99 win team last year, and they, the Yankees arguably got better. So. I think the Red Sox uh, are going to come back down to earth a little bit, but the American League is really a three team league. So, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, and once they get in the postseason, anything could happen. Uh, but, you know, yeah, the strategy to keep the band together, re signing Uvalde and Pierce, you'll be curious to see how it works. But uh, I would have liked to have seen them do more in the bullpen, certainly.
0: Yeah, I agree, especially considering how many relievers, quality relievers, went for just a year. You know, getting Sean Kelly or Hunter Strickland, uh, Brad Brock, all of these guys went for a year and I think less than $3 So they could have certainly got someone, even if they didn't want to go after Kimbrell or even Ottavino, they could have got someone to enhance their bullpen. I think one question for them is, what will Dustin Pedroia contribute this year? That's a big wild card for them as well. Looking at the Yankees, the Yankees did make a lot of moves, and they made them early. They acquired James Paxton, which is a move I really like for them. They signed Adam onavino who I think is a lethal reliever, a top 10 reliever, and they got DJ LeMayhew, who was a starter on almost every other team, to be their super utility guy. I think they made a lot of good additions, but the health of Severino is going to loom over this team all year. Yeah, the big question of the,
1: the health of the arms of Severino and, and Dylan Patances, they have the depth in the bullpen that even if... There's some sort of long-term issue with Batances, with Chapman out of, you know, Chad Green, who I think is actually the best relief pitcher in the American League at this point. Uh, Jonathan Holder's good. I'm not that optimistic about Zach Britton. His, his strikeout-to-walk ratio has been pretty lousy since he got back from the Achilles injury, but Tommy Canely is healthy, and uh, he wasn't last year. He was very good the year before. Their bullpen can endure that loss. The rotation, maybe not, but the Paxton signing was huge with regard to that, and even just bringing Jay Happ back, which didn't thrill me when it happened, but in terms of just the giving depth to that rotation uh, could prove to be a very big move. But they also have talent beyond their intended top five, whether it's Domingo German or Jonathan Loisiga or Luis Sessa, all who could come into play early in the season with uh, Severino and Sabathia getting off to slow starts due to injury. Um, you know, I think the Yankees have a lot of depth on both sides as sides of the ball. They've got youth in the lineup. Their upside is tremendous. I think there's more variability in terms of what to expect from the Yankees than, say, the Red Sox, but I think their upside is higher.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that the Yankees, I think, have going for them as well is that I think they can actually expect a better year from Gary Sanchez, and I think they can expect a better year from Giancarlo Stanton, and those are two significant pieces that if they can get exceptional production from, uh, that makes them even better, whereas the Red Sox, I don't know if Mookie Betts could actually be better. I mean, it's the likelihood of him him having another 10-win season just seems ridiculous at this point, but the Yankees do seem to have room to grow from their stars.
1: Absolutely. And and that's the nature of things. That's why we haven't had those back to back pennant winners or championships. Um well we had a number of back to back pennant winners, but not championships. The Red Sox haven't had back to back. Because of that nature of, you know, if you have that great season, you're probably going to come back a little bit, you know, and and exactly with the Yankees. Now the Yankees lost D.D. Gregorius for half a season due to the Tommy John surgery, but at the same time they also have so like I said, so many young players. Miguel Andujar for a full season, uh having it, you know, adjusted to the league for a year. Who knows what his defense will be like? But you got you love the bat. And Glaber Torres for a full season, he also missed some time during in- to injury last year. Greg Bird had a great spring, although he's hard to rely on. But, you know, that kind of helps, you know, if Luke Voigt comes back to earth a little bit. that Like I say, depth is a huge thing for the Yankees. They've got a ton of it. Depth and youth and,
0: and flexibility. I just love their roster. The Rays added Charlie Morton. Um, seemingly, the Rays were innovative last year in using the opener that's something that caught on and it's something we're going to see a lot more of this year they signed Charlie Morton to just be a traditional starter we think Uh, I like their roster they also extended Blake Snell and they extended a young player of theirs Brandon Lau they were a team last year that uh, the Vegas betting lines had in the low 70s and Pocota, I think, had at 90. And there was a big discrepancy between what Vegas thought of them and what the projection systems thought of them. And it turns out the projection systems were right. They won 90 games, not good enough to make the playoffs because the AL is unfortunately top-heavy and it's a top-heavy division. But the Rays have a lot of things going for them. Can they get a few extra wins this year to actually push themselves into a wildcard spot? I think they can. They're my favorite for that second one cuz the, the the past
1: however many years I think 3 years in a row now it's been Yankees, Red Sox, Indians, Astros and one other team that's going to, you know, get eliminated pretty quickly but Last year, it was the A's. Two years ago, it was the Twins. This year, I think, could be the Rays' year for that. I love the Charlie Morton signing to see the Rays. You know, he's a 35-year-old guy. It wasn't a big contract, but just to go out, and he was very good for the Astros the last couple years, and to go out and say, you know what? Despite our opener shenanigans and everything, we're going to add this kind of mid-level But very good starter to our rotation. That really improves things a lot for them. Um, I also really like the trade for Mike Zanino. Malik Smith had a very good season for them last year, but they got got Tommy Pham and Austin Meadows mid-year, and now they're going to have full seasons of those two guys in the corner outfield. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier, every year you say, hopefully he'll stay healthy, but so that's a pretty good outfield. And now they've got Zunino, who's an outstanding defensive catcher, and he's got some pop at the plate. Uh, He could help out with the pitching staff as well. There's some opportunity for guys to fall back, whether it's G-Man Choi or Joey Wendell, who is an old rookie. He's going to be 29 this year as a sophomore. Uh, you know, but, but in general, I like the creativity on the pitching staff and I like the, the the pickups that they made. I think it's going to be enough to get them that wild card spot.
0: Yeah. I think Tommy Pham going to have a big year for them as well. The Blue Jays find themselves in a bit of a holding pattern here. They're kind of waiting for all of the kids of the players we grew up watching to come up and be ready. Vlad Guerrero had an oblique injury. Vlad Guerrero Jr. He should be up by late April, mid May, assuming everything goes well there. Dante Bichette and Caven Biggio, they have all of these young prospects who are in a good position and should be contributing this year. But, of course, all of the hype is on Vlad Guerrero Jr. Do we need to tone down our expectations a little bit here? I don't know. I mean, the,
1: the oblique injury makes you worry a little bit, but, I mean, he's— His minor league numbers remind me a little bit of Chris Bryant. Now he's a lot younger. Chris Bryant came out of college. Vlad Guerrero, I think is was 19 last year. He's going to be 20 this year. So significantly younger, but putting up those similar, just absolutely eye popping video game numbers in the minor leagues. Uh, I think he's going to rake, you know, when, whenever he arrives, which hopefully will be no later than early May. Um, and probably would have been sooner if not for that oblique injury. Although I hear he's a little bit ahead of schedule on that. So that's encouraging. Um, but the Blue Jays, yeah, it's really—it's just going to be about watching Vlad, Danny Jansen, also an, a rookie catcher. They get, they traded Russell Martin, and Danny Jansen is a guy not to overlook. He's not a necessarily a future superstar, but it could be a nice upgrade at that position. They also, for what it's worth, you're talking about sons of uh of former stars. They've got Jeff Conine's son in the minor leagues as well. I don't think he's due up anytime soon, but it's a, it's something about collecting that the sons of former major leaguers that. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think that that Vlad is going to be, he's going to be good. He's going to be good pretty much right away. Um, But he's also going to be the main reason to watch the Blue Jays. There's not too much else there this year.
0: The Orioles last year somehow finished 61 games out of first place, which doesn't even seem like that should be possible. They were really bad. And if we're being honest, they're going to be really bad for at least the next half decade. I think Mike Elias is one of the smart guys in baseball knows what he's doing, and that they got a smart, capable person, and I think Sid Midell is there as well, Um, that they have those two in charge of this rebuild makes me think that this rebuild will actually be possible and successful for them in the long term.
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly they're in the right place to start that rebuild. They've got the number one pick uh, this June and probably will next June. And who knows, maybe even the year after that, they're going to be drafting high for a few years in a row. And with a smart front office in place, that's really going to help. But in terms of on the field, I mean, they lost 115 games last year, which is like top five or six all time. Uh, they could easily lose 110 games again this year because Manny Machado's gone, Jonathan Scope is gone, Tim Beckham's gone, Adam Jones is gone, Kevin Gossman's gone, and Brad Brock is gone. And Zach Britton, who was only there for a little bit last year, is gone. A, a, a bunch of other veterans, Caleb Joseph, just kind of like guys who kind of would kind of hold the line, keep you at or slightly above replacement level, plus a couple of stars, they're all gone, and they've really been replaced with nobody. So it's it's not going to get better. Except for again that kind of when you reach such an extreme, you're probably going to come back a little bit.
0: Yeah, they're they're in bad shape. Not to completely dump on them, we'll say a couple positive things. I think Michael Givens uh, will get some trade pieces back for him. They'll be able to trade him uh, in the summer. I think he's a good reliever, and someone will want him. Maybe even the Red Sox and Cedric Mullins, their center fielder this year. He's power speed combo guy. Little old for a rookie, but. There's some potential there, too. So they're still going to lose a lot of games, but they have a couple of things to look forward to at least. The Indians have an elite pitching staff, but they really did uh, trade away some of their offensive players this year. Plus, they're dealing with Lindor, who is ahead of schedule and might start tomorrow, but Lindor is is uh, has been banged up a little bit, and Jose Ramirez was a little banged up. They said both will be ready, I think, for tomorrow, but Hanley Ramirez is going to be on their opening day roster. Their outfield is very, very thin this team really needs its pitching to carry them.
1: Yeah, the Indians had a real opportunity here with the quality of that starting rotation and with the weakness of their division to add a couple of bats and maybe get over the hump in terms of, you know, the longest uh championship drought in baseball going back to 1948, having just missed a couple years ago in 2016. Uh, I really think they needed to add a couple pieces because their focus should be winning in the postseason and being a team that can't get beat in the postseason. They didn't do that at all. They took a couple steps backward. They traded Jan Gomes and didn't really replace him at all. Uh, they did a little bit of shuffling with their first base DH situation, which could be be a slight step backward although long term maybe Jake Bowers is a nice asset to have picked up uh, they let Michael Brantley leave as a free agent it's it's they they let Allen and Miller in the bullpen left those guys were i think were uh, it was right to let them leave but they didn't replace them with anybody they just kind of laid there in the offseason they made a couple of trades and they signed some guys and, but yeah like you say it's it's going to be Hanley Ramirez maybe Carlos Gonzalez a couple of like late winter NRI guys uh, in the heart of that lineup. Uh, They've got two superstars in an incredible rotation, but there's not a lot after that. They're going to win the division pretty easily, but I think they're going to be very beatable in the
0: postseason. The Twins are coming off a disappointing season, I guess, compared to what they did in 2017. It seemed like they overachieved in 2017. They tried to buy some of those wins back in free agency last year and they it all exploded on them. None of those moves worked out for them. This year they added, they went the power route. They seemingly are trying to emulate what the Brewers did last year just by having a bunch of power bats in their lineup. They brought in uh, Nelson Cruz and they brought in CJ Krohn and Jonathan Shope and uh, they also hired Rocco Baldelli to be their manager who was not a power guy, but they they really sort of beefed up on power. Any chance they can grab a wild card? I still think they're going to fall short.
1: I don't think so. If anything, I think the Twins have a better route to the division just because if Lindor Ramirez get hurt for an extended period of time... Or the rotation, I think, is solid, but the, the, the Indians offense, I think, is is fragile enough that one of those two guys goes down and there could be opportunity there. The trick is that the twins, according to third order record, were a 70 win team left. They won 78 games. But if you look behind the numbers, they were closer to a 78 70 win team in terms of actual talent. So, yes, they did have a good offseason, but it was pretty much focused on the lineup. Uh, Michael Pineda is coming back from Tommy John surgery to add to the rotation, but you don't know exactly how well he's going to perform. He wasn't really a star level pitcher before the Tommy John surgery was a little erratic. So coming off the surgery uh, and rehab, you know, you can't have that high an expectation. Uh, Might have taken a couple steps back in the bullpen. They traded Ryan Presley at the deadline last year and and, uh, haven't really replaced him. So their lineup is better, but I don't see a team here really that I think is even going to get above 500 and not competitive for the second wild card. Their only hope is that the entire division collapses and maybe the Indians come down to them. But I think even that's a stretch.
0: Yeah, this division is not strong. Uh, The Tigers, White Sox, and Royals all finished below 70 wins last year. They might do that again this year. The Tigers are mid-rebuild. They have some pieces coming. I like Casey Mize. To me, the wild card for them, the interesting piece to them is what does Miguel Cabrera do this year? We've seen great first baseman sluggers, Frank Thomas, Albert Pujols, who were every bit as good, if not better, than him at the plate, decline, decline steeply at his age. I don't know if Cabrera has anything left. He's been killing the ball in spring training, whatever that's worth, but I think Cabrera can still hit, and I don't know... Usually for these guys who can do everything with power and average, one of them goes as the age. I think for Cabrera, it's going to be the power, but I do expect an average still over 300 for him.
1: I agree with that. And that's, I mean, he only got 157 plate appearances last year. So his body's breaking down. That's part of what's going on with him. Uh, but he did hit 299 in those opportunities. Uh, you know, and he's you don't really lose your batting eye. But the thing is that if you're not threatening with power anymore, you're not going to pitchers aren't going to be as careful with you. Um, you know, he's a big body first baseman who's going to be 36 and he's had some injuries recently. It's a very clear de- decline track. I, I don't expect a big bounce back from him. Uh, it will be interesting. The guy's a future Hall of Famer. He's climbing, you know, he's targeting 500 home runs uh it's something for the fans to pay attention to uh if he can stay healthy but I I don't think there's a lot of there there for Cabrera or really the
0: Tigers writ large yeah they got hurt too with uh Michael Fulmer's injury they they were hoping to move him at the deadline but that's obviously not going to happen now the White Sox are an interesting team to me because they had been planning on getting Manny Machado for at least two years And that was going to be their big acquisition that would help trigger their rebuild into contention. And it just didn't happen. To me, that's almost more interesting than the team that got him. Because when you were targeting a player, a superstar player for so long, and you had offered him a huge contract, and then he says, no, thank you. You don't have anything to replace that, obviously. And the White Sox, I think, find themselves stuck. And
1: like we just talked about with the extensions, this offseason was going to offer Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, and maybe a couple other guys that if they had that money laying around, they could say, oh, well, we can offer it to Arenado or somebody else. They, those guys aren't that young. And so, you know, the great thing about Machado was that 26, you could say we can still plan three, four, five years down the road with him, maybe not so much with those other guys, but those guys are off the market now too. So yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, rebuilds work, We've seen the Astros, the Cubs, the Brewers, the Braves. You can go down the list. Rebuilds absolutely work. I do not necessarily buy into the whole tank. You know, people accuse teams of tanking. But it can be difficult to stick the landing, and that's what we're seeing with the White Sox. They're having some injuries to their young, you know, uh, pitching uh, prospects. Michael Kopech is going to miss the year due to Tommy John surgery. Uh, They just had, I think it was Dane Dunning went down with Tommy John surgery. Um, And, Y- Yoan Makata hasn't really hit the ground as a, as a hitter yet, and he's going into his third season, so it can be tough to stick the landing. Uh, the good news, though, is that having signed Eloy Jimenez to—it uh, is an extension because there's an option year there that, that could—there are two options here that, years that could go beyond free agency, but really just buying out his arbitration years— and getting that, that cost certainty, he's going to be on the opening in the opening day lineup. So that's exciting, and that gives, in a way, kind of a—he's not replacing Machado, but the disappointment of not getting Machado can be made up for, at least in the fans' eyes a little bit, by having w- one of the best power prospects in all of baseball
0: in your opening day lineup. The Royals won 58 games last year. They're going to be bad again this year. But at least they're trying something different. They're loading up on speed. They've said they're going to run on everybody this year. I don't know. That seems like something like it could be watchable. But I still don't think they're going to win anything. And I think they're going to be last place again. I
1: don't know if they're going to be last place. The division is so bad. I think the Tigers are pretty darn lousy. Um, the Royals, I think, will be better. Better than 58 wins. Maybe not a lot better. But I think they'll be better. It's kind of fun, too, I think, for Royals fans. that you're looking at now like a speed and defense team. You know, which is the throwback to the Frank White and Willie Wilson era. You know, I, I don't mention George Brett just because he didn't fit that mold. But uh, the in a way, the Salvador Perez injury might have helped them because Martin Maldonado is a better defensive catcher. He's not going to hit as much, but, you know... Billy Hamilton in center, Alice Gordon can still go get it in left, uh, a full season of Adalberto Mondesi at shortstop, uh, they've got some defense, they've got some speed, and so yeah, I think they'll be entertaining in that way uh, during their defensive innings, they'll be worth watching, and then you can go do something else when they're at bat
0: Yeah, do something else, and their pitching is uh, is not good it's a, it's a bad pitching staff, and they're going to get hit hard. But uh, moving on to some teams that can contend, the Astros are, are two years removed from a World Series title now. They won 103 games last year. They are an elite team. They are bringing back most of their players. They added Michael Brantley, which was a very good signing for them. Um, they have extended Verlander for a couple years. They have Altuve locked up. There are some reports that, uh, that Carlos Correa is dealing with a, a stiff neck, and last year he had the bad back. And those are things, when you have a bad back, And when you have a bad neck, I feel like those linger. I'm, you know, someone who grew up in Massachusetts watching Larry Bird. When Larry Bird got that bad back, that was it. When Don Mattingly got a bad back, that was it. I'm a little worried about Carlos Correa going forward.
1: Yeah, I was going to bring up Mattingly when you brought up Bird because that was, you know, I grew up uh, uh, watching the Yankees. And that was pretty devastating for a guy to go from, you know, MVP level talent and really before he was even out of his prime to be diminished to that degree and have his career end early. Correa is only 24. Yeah, I'm ho- obviously you hope that that's not a, a major issue going forward, um, but it is an area of concern. You know, it, it really hurts to see a, a player with that much talent uh, become injury prone or have some sort of nagging or chronic injury. Uh, nonetheless, I think the Astros, the offense should be better this year because, I mean, Correa did deal with injuries last year. So hopefully he'll be healthier. Uh, and even if he's not, you know, Altuve missed some time. Springer was limited by injuries. Those guys should bounce back. Uh, I think Robinson Chirinos is, is an upgrade from Brian McCann, at catcher. I think Michael Brantley, at least in terms of uh, performance at the plate, is probably a slight upgrade from Marwin Gonzalez in left field. So the lineup's been in, been upgraded. And the bullpen is going to have full seasons of Roberto Osuna and Ryan Presley. Uh, plus, the, the quality starting pros, uh, young starters, Josh James and Framber Valdez, are starting in the bullpen. And, and those are just fantastic arms to have out there a righty and a lefty. But the rotation is taking a step backward. We talk about Morton going to the Rays. Uh, Dallas Keichel's still out there. He could always come back, but it hasn't happened yet. Opening days as we record this tomorrow. Um, and Lance McCullers Jr lost for the year to Tommy John surgery. So 3 out of their 5 starters out of what was the best rotation in baseball last year are gone. Uh, Colin McHugh and Brad Peacock are coming back out of the bullpen. If they were very good st- good starters before that year in the bullpen, but you wonder about, you know, the shift in innings, uh, readjusting the starting And they signed Wade Miley as a free agent who was very good for the Brewers in about 80 innings last year. But I am not a big Wade Miley fan. He was awful the year before. It's possible that whatever the Brewers were able to do with him, the Astros can as well. The Astros have had a ton of success bringing guys like Verlander and Cole and Morton over and and using their high-speed cameras and finessing their stuff and getting better results out of them. Maybe Miley isn't a guy who can continue what he did last year under that kind of coaching. But, uh, you know, I think that the, the step backward in the rotation is going to counteract the, any progress they make in the lineup a little bit. Nonetheless, the best team in the West and, and one of the arguably with the Yankees and Red
0: Sox best team in the league. I completely agree. And they have help coming too with Forrest Whitley in the starting rotation and Kyle Tucker in the outfield. They have elite high-level prospects ready to join them and help them out at some point as well. The Athletics last year won 97 games. They made the playoffs. When I look at their starting rotation, I say, wow, that is a starting rotation of a team that won 97 games. I still can't really believe none of the projection systems had them winning 97 games. They uh, acquired Jerickson Profar. But I look at their team and I still think, I don't know how they're going to win 90 games this year. But who knows? The the A's are known to pull out some magic. I just don't see it happening again. Do you? I do not see it happening again. I think Bob Melvin is an excellent
1: manager, and whenever he has a team that is capable of overachieving like like the A's did last year, and actually, again, I mentioned third-order record with a couple different teams. Third-order record, the A's were a 96-win team last year, so they didn't really overachieve. They overachieved relative to expectations, but that was their actual level of performance on the field. I still don't see it happening again this year. Um, the, The rotation is lousy, and in the lineup... First off, they just lost Tyler Olsen for two months to a broken hamate bone and surgery there. That hurts. We didn't know that coming into the season. That's not their fault. They do have young talent. Matt Chapman, I think, is going to be a perennial MVP candidate. Marcus Semien took a huge step forward last year on both sides of the ball. Uh, They've obviously got Chris Davis' bat. They've got a nice lineup, uh, particularly once Olsen comes back. But I just don't see it all coming together quite the same way this year. I think, again, a team that that was at the high end of their abilities last year in terms of wins, uh, they're going to take a step back in the Rays are there to catch them.
0: Yeah, and we just found news a, a couple days ago that Jesus Lazardo is going to be shut down for four to six weeks. That's troubling. Uh, he was an elite prospect that was going to make an impact this year. If he ends up meeting Tommy John, that's a big setback for them. I do like Chad Pinder, who is a guy who's going to get more playing time that Olsen has hurt. I think he can contribute and be one of those A's players that hits you know 20 home runs out of nowhere. Uh, Chapman, I agree, is an MVP candidate. And Chris Davis, Mr. Home Runs, what is he, Mr. 247 as well, he does that every year. He's a big-time player and a big-time bad in that lineup as well. I think they'll be around. They're going to hang around. I just don't see 97 happening for them again. Seattle won 89 games last year and still decided to blow it up. It seems like that's probably the right thing to do, especially since they fluked into a lot of wins early in the year at least that's what the underlying numbers may suggest they did get kakuchi from japan and they have already opened up in japan and are 2 and 0 versus oakland so good for them there ichiro is is retired officially but i look at the overall team it's not a ghost team they still have recognizable names like encarnacion and jay bruce but man that starting rotation is pretty thin and i don't i hope i think they're hoping to lose more games than 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 they win this year so they can start the rebuild in earnest it's kind of interesting because a lot of what they did was
1: acquire guys who are have achieved the major league level but have a lot of team control left. So what they did was not quite a full rebuild in that they trick, you know, they got rid of seven of their top eleven guys in terms of baseball prospectuses wins above replacement from last year's team. Seven of their top eleven, but they replaced them with a lot of guys. Who uh, Malik Smith to me is the is the is the represents this best. A guy who had a very good season last year, who's young, he's 26, he's been in the major leagues for a couple years, but he's got a number of team-controlled years left. I feel like this is not one of these five-year rebuilds. It might be a two- or three-year retrenching of sorts. But like you say, the rotation needs help Uh, This is probably Felix Hernandez's last year in Seattle, and and kind of moving on from him, I think, will help them in some level there. The bullpen, I don't think, is going to be good, uh, but the lineup is not awful. You know, they got Omar Narvaez to catch to replace Zunino. He's a good on-base guy. Smith, I mentioned, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, Domingo Santana, uh, still just 26, former outfield prospect who just couldn't get playing time with the Brewers, hit that grand slam on opening day in Japan. Mitch Hanager is a very good player. He's he's old for where he is in his career. He's going to be 28 this year. Uh, but, you know, he's their star now. Um D Gordon's still there. It, Tim Beckham, a former first overall draft pick who's he's kind of holding the, just kind of a placeholder of sorts, but like you say, it's not they didn't strip down to the studs. They stripped down to a kind of a middling team. The trick is that sometimes you can get caught in the middle. I always think about the Blue Jays from the late 90s into the early 2000s where they were just third place every year and they'd they'd win, you know, 82 games or 79 games or 83 games. And when you get caught in the middle, you don't get those draft picks, but you're not good enough to compete and you don't get the extra revenue from postseason appearances, which of course the Mariners aren't getting anyway because they have the longest postseason drought in the four major North American uh, sports going back to 2001. But, you know... Jerry Depoto is a hard guy to figure out. He just loves to roll over his roster every year. This was one of the most dramatic ones that he's done. Uh, the Mariners will be a team that's not painful to watch. They just beat those pretty good A's team twice. But
0: yeah, I, I worry about them getting caught in the middle going forward. Yeah, and the middle is the worst place to be in sports. This is what has triggered all of these massive rebuilds where they bought him out because – when you're in the middle, you're not getting any playoff money, and you don't have a chance to win, obviously, because you're not in the playoffs. But you're not getting any high draft picks. So teams have decided being in the middle makes no sense. You're better off either going for it all in or losing all in. And being in the middle is the worst place. So the the Mariners are in a little bit of a tight spot there. You don't want to be in the middle. If, and they're not going to contend, so they might as well lose. And I expect them to make a lot of more trades with some of these known, more known assets that they have on the roster by the end of the year. The Angels, of course have Mike Trout, and they have him for a long time now, and he is the best player in baseball. He's on a historic pace still. He is great, but still they are not really surrounding him with the kind of cast that would lead to a playoff appearance. And there is a report today that Justin Upton is going to start the season on the injured list with turf toe. That shouldn't linger too long, but he is going to start on the disabled list. Poolhost is not the same player. I do like the Justin Bauer pickup, but it's still a team that I look at and say, eh, it's middle of the pack, it's a 500 team, and I wish they would surround Trout with more.
1: I totally agree with that, but the Angels had one job this offseason. Because of Shohei Otani's Tommy John surgery, which takes him out of the picture for their starting rotation for this season, uh, although he's expected to come back as a DH, I think maybe in May or June, uh, and he has been hitting and throwing a little bit in camp. Uh, They had one job, and that was to extend Mike Trout. Either extend him or trade him this offseason because the idea was that they had two years left of control over Trout. With Otani's surgery, they weren't going to have their next best player really fully available during that period. They clearly didn't have what it took to be a playoff contender during that period. So they either had to cash in on the best player in baseball or keep him along long enough to build a team around him and Otani. They have done that. So the the Angels are going to be stuck in the middle again this year. They've won 80 games each of the last two years. That's that's who they are as currently constructed. But the fact that they now have a much further horizon with Trout and Otani – Uh, They can start to construct the team that hopefully will give us some Mike Trout postseason at bats in maybe three or four years from now.
0: Yeah, and they do have a superstar prospect Joe Adele who got hurt in, in a spring training game earlier in the year He's going to be out a couple of months I believe but he's the kind of guy that might be the top prospect in baseball at the end of the year Having him come up with a nucleus with Trout and Otani and Adele that's three really good players that I think people would like to start their team with those three guys Now what they do with the rest of the roster uh, it's a little iffy, but having those three guys is a good place to start Hopefully something will happen that will uh, get them into the playoffs, but I still think Trout's going to win win the mvp this year because how can you bet against mike trout the rangers were last in the division last year they are openly trying to rebuild they had spent a ton of money when they were in their window of contention i feel like they get somewhat of a pass with this rebuild because like the tigers the tigers did try and win for a decade and the rangers did too, they just now they're at the end where some of these players are, have aged out or some didn't work out but they were spending money and they were trying to compete they didn't have all their prospects developed the way they wanted. To me the interesting guy in their roster, we know they're not going to win this year it's still Joey Gallo because not only Joey Gallo has hit 40 home runs plus each of the last two years he doesn't have a high batting average because they shift on him but what we're going to see more in baseball this year are four man outfields so not only is Gallo going to be facing the traditional shift he might also see the fourth man in the outfield. So the only way this guy's going to be able to get a hit is if he bunts it down the line or he hits a home run. And I think that's going to be interesting to watch.
1: I, I That's a very good point. Although, you know, looking at what he's done the last two years, I'm not sure it's going to change his outcomes all that much. He's already kind of that most extreme Adam Dunn type of guy with 207 strikeouts last year, 40 home runs, a 206 batting average. I mean, that kind of is what it is. Uh, I'm curious about the development of Nomar Mazzara, who's still just 24 and was very highly touted prospect. He's got 20 home runs each of the last two years, but really hasn't been an, an even an average hitter in the big picture yet, whether or not he's going to develop and have some sort of breakout in the near term or if he's going to kind of turn out to be a disappointing guy. Uh, they've added some kind of entertaining veterans, uh, Hunter Pence, chief among them, Um you know, to, to kind of keep things going. But yeah, this, this is a last place team.
0: Let's switch over to the National League. The Braves won the NL East last year. They sort of came out of nowhere. I think they arrived a year early. We've seen a lot of that with some of these rebuilding teams. Sometimes they just come a little early. The Astros did that. The Cubs did that. The Braves did that, too. They made a big signing, signing Josh Donaldson. And I really do think that Donaldson will be closer to his MVP form. I think he, when he came back and he was healthy with Cleveland, his OPS plus was basically his career average. I think they got a superstar there. But I do feel like they pulled up a little bit short. I look at their rotation. And it's so young and I say, Man, that's a rotation that could use Keichel. I look at their bullpen and I say, Man, that's a bullpen that could use Kimbrel. I'm surprised they weren't more active or aggressive in going after either of those guys, though we're still hearing them connected to Kimbrel. I think they pulled up a little bit short here, and I wonder why. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly what happened there. Um
1: So Obviously, the Donaldson move was a nice move. I'm not quite as sanguine about it as you are. I think that there's some age and there's some slowing down, some loss of range in the field, but I mean, absolutely, the bat hopefully will continue to play. It's all about him staying healthy, but they added nothing to their pitching. You know, they have a ton of young, quality pitching prospects. I mean, just the the sheer number of them is absurd, but... You know, there's only so many that you can kind of transfer and, and, and adapt to the major leagues in one season at a time, uh, particularly when you're trying to win. Now, they're going to open the season with Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson in their starting rotation. There's a bunch of other guys behind them that could join if Kevin Gossman or whoever doesn't quite work out. Mike Fultonovich is starting on the, the injured list with some elbow issues. There's only so many you can bring along at once and... They really needed to add some top-level guys. I think Kimbrel and Keiko were both perfect fits for exactly what they needed. They didn't make those moves, and meanwhile, the other teams in the division, which we'll get to in a moment, kind of all took steps forward. So the Braves, again, their performance last year was real. If anything, you know, third-order record said they were a 94-win team. They won 90. So you know, and there's their lineup is just remarkable with. Freeman and Albies and Acuna and the defense they get from Inciarte and the middle infielders and I mean you love the lineup on both sides of the ball and you love the talent they have coming up but in terms of the pitching staff and what it's going to do this year it could put them
0: honestly as good as that division is they could fall all the way back to fourth place Yeah, that's a very strong division up top. Obviously, Miami's at the bottom, but I expect no sophomore slump from Ronald Acuna. I think he's going to be an MVP caliber player, perhaps for the next decade. I think he's that good. Uh, Another guy who I expect no sophomore slump from is on the next team, the Washington Nationals. Juan Soto came out of nowhere seemingly, in that he wasn't the top prospect in baseball like Acuna was, and he came up when he was 19 and had one of the best offensive seasons a teenager's ever had. His plate discipline is so unprecedented for a player of his age, it's hard to see any regression. I I can only see him getting better, and they added Patrick Corbin to their pitching staff. They should be getting full-time playing time from Victor Robles as well this year. I expect them to be competing, and I think on paper they they might be the, the best team in the division,
1: yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, the one the one hesitation is that this is the Nationals, and we've been here before, right? I mean, there's in the last seven years, it seems like every other year, everybody says, "Oh my goodness, look at the Nationals roster. They're the best team in baseball, or the best team in the National League." And then you know they either finish second or they they're one and out in the postseason, and you know so you're you're kind of a little gun shy. But I yeah, you got to love what the Nationals have done here. They had three very weak positions last year in their lineup center field. Second base and catcher, and they upgraded all of them. Um, the you know Brian Dozier at second, the Jan Gomes, Kurt Suzuki uh, combination at catcher, and then you mentioned Juan Soto wasn't necessarily considered the top prospect. One of the reasons for that is because he was considered the second best prospect in his own you know in his own farm system because of Victor Robles. Now Victor Robles is going to be the opening day center fielder, so you've got those two guys both in the starting lineup. Juan Soto having already proven what he can do at a very high level as a teenager in the major leagues. And that's all completely legitimate. uh, The way he, his, his control, you know, he doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, He takes his walks. He's got a ton of power hit for average. He does everything. I expect bigger and better from him going forward. He's not the all around player that Acuna, I think has the potential to be, but as a pure bat, he's right there. And Robles is you know, kind of this five tool center field stud who may not have quite as much power necessarily, but he's going to help you with his legs and his fielding while his bat adjusts. And the thing is that he's already has about 90 to 100 major league plate appearances and has something like a 117 OPS in those. So he's had some exposure and he's gotten it done. You worry a little bit about age and injury with guys like Zimmerman and Eaton and Dozier, but... This is a really good lineup. You mentioned the strength at the top of the rotation. Uh, the bullpen is better than it's been in recent years. I don't know exactly how Trevor Rosenthal is going to come back from Tommy John surgery, but I thought the Tony Sipp was a nice little pickup of a of a lefty matchup guy. Uh, the Nationals are a really good team. I, I think. As good as, as well as the Phillies did this offseason, the Nationals could be the favorite
0: here, absolutely. Yeah, and the Phillies will move on to them now. They, of course, added Harper and McCutcheon and David Robertson. They traded for Gene Segura. They're moving Reese Hoskins back to first base. They have a ve- they added Real Muto, of course. They have a very deep lineup. I'm still a little concerned about their, their starting pitching staff in particular going forward, but they add, they have a really good team, a really deep lineup, and they're going to cause a problem for a lot of people, and they're going to be in contention all year, too. Phillies were in first place in the middle of August last year, and then they had a bad finish. And then they went out and added
1: all those guys you mentioned. They added four, you know, like, you know, I don't know if McCutcheon is still quite a star level player, but a, a above average veteran and three star level players, plus a, an ace relief ace uh, and a couple other good depth guys in the bullpen. That team is going to be better. Uh, Gabe Kapler, I think hopefully will be a year smarter uh, in terms of just how to manage a staff. Uh, how to manage his team. Uh, you've got maybe a little more veteran leadership there. Cause I think there were some clubhouse issues last year, but with McCutcheon in there and, and Harper's a young guy and some people talk about him, but I think he, he really wants to step up into a leadership role. Um, I, there's a lot to like about the Phillies and, and, you know, maybe the rotation isn't quite as eye-popping as the Mets or the Nationals, but Aaron Nola is one of the best pitchers in the league, and the guys behind them are solid. There's not really a, a, an embarrassing, you know, fifth or fourth guy, and they've got a little bit of depth in the in the farm system. So Phillies are going to be a very, very good team, and this is really, this is, last year seemed like it was going to be their kind of coming out year. This is absolutely it.
0: I agree. And Jake Arrieta, his velocity is up in the spring. So that should help him going forward. And Nick Pavetta, his velocity is up as well. They're very high on him as well. So their rotation may not be like the Mets, who we'll talk about now. But it is still very good. And I expect them to be in contention. I am buying in on the Mets rotation. DeGrom and Syndergaard, of course, are great. But I will say this, I think the Mets are being a little overrated this year. Yes, they got Cano and Diaz, and those guys are upgrades. And Jed Lowry is a very nice utility piece to have, and he'll get a lot of time in at third base as well. Peter Alonso is a, is a good bat. He is one of those guys they could actually set down legitimately to work on his defense. But the bat is uh, very strong and will play at a major league level. However, I look at this team as a whole and I say, yeah, they're like an 83-win team, an 84-win team. I'm not buying the Mets as contenders, are you? I think the Mets will be in the mix. I mean, eighty. the thing is that, you know, when you
1: say 83 or 84 wins, are you taking into consideration how many good teams there are in this division? And the fact that the team that wins the division... Because of that, is unlikely to be a 97 or 98 win team, you know. And certainly, the, what we've seen in the National League in recent years, there's been more parity in the National League than in the American League, which is very strictly stratified. So, you know, 93, 92 wins uh, could be enough to win a division. Was certainly uh, last year or the year before. Um, and so if the Mets finish slightly on the high end of of what you just said, then they're right there. They're in contention. Uh, I buy them. I don't. I think they're probably the weakest of these four, but I think they're in that mix. And I think there's certainly upside and downside to be had, uh, both because of the rotation with injury issues. Um, I do like, you know, adding to the bullpen, the high end of the bullpen with Diaz and also juries, getting juries familiar back. Um, I think that was Justin Wilson as a lefty you know, it wasn't just the, the high end guy. They added a little bit of depth there. Uh, and, and the idea of depth moves. Now, Lowry, I think is going to start off injured, but you know, Keon Broxton, JD Davis, they added a little bit of depth there. Um, behind Alonso, Dominic Smith also had a fantastic spring. I, I haven't been as high on him in general, but there, there seems to be again, some depth. And you didn't mention Wilson Ramos who's a big upgrade, a catcher. Uh, so, and 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 also the fact that you know Michael Conforto, another year removed from injury, uh, Brandon Nimmo, can he repeat what he did last year? He, both of those guys are only 26, so there's some upside there, both in terms of performance and more playing time than they got last year. So yeah, I think there's something there with the Mets,
0: and I, I think cautiously optimistic might be the best way to put it. The Derek Jeter-led Marlins lost 98 games last year. They're going to be bad for a long time. They removed their home run sculpture for no reason. I thought that was one of the cool things in baseball, and they took it away. Not a lot of great things to see in the Marlins' future. I kind of like their pitching staff a little bit with Alcontrera and Urena. I think they have some young guys that throw really hard. They are also—their command isn't there. That can get developed over time. But uh, Lewis Brinson, who they got for Christian Yelich, obviously Yelich went on to win the MVP. They're someone that they're going to give full time playing to, even though he had a bad year last year. And he still has a lot of skill sets. He's power, he's speed, he can play defense, play center field. I think there's something to look forward to with Brinson, even though their season as a whole is still going to be quite bad. Yeah, Derek Jeter,
1: uh, and I mean, it may not necessarily have been him exclusively, but they just had some pictures come out of the redesign of the interior of, of Marlins Stadium. And, and it looks like the new Yankee Stadium. It's all like navy blue and with a lot, with, you know, all the kind of that. I mean it was gaudy and ugly before, but at least it was unique. Um, this team is if if you're interested in prospects, then it can be interesting to watch Lewis Brinson and Jorge Alfaro and you know maybe even Brian Anderson, who was very good as a rookie last year and the the youth they have in their rotation, you mentioned Alcantara. Pablo Lopez is also twenty three like Alcantara. there's there's nobody in their opening day rotation who's older than twenty seven. So there's some young players. And, you know, you can you can watch this team and say, oh, it's kind of interesting to see these young players get a major league opportunity and what they'll do. But this is a very bad team in a very good division. So it's it's going to be a, a pretty miserable year in Miami.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Miami. I, Marlins fans, I wish we had more positive news for you. But I think you all know it's going to be a rough year, too. Uh, Milwaukee did end up winning the Central last year. This is a very strong division, another division that got better. No real weak team this year as the Reds got considerably better as well. Milwaukee had a lot of things go their way and they did embrace the opener as well. I think Milwaukee will take a little bit of a step back but still be quite good. I'm not so sure they're
1: going to take a step back. This is an outstanding lineup and they added their one-week spot last year as catcher and they signed Yasmani Grandal, which nobody else seemed to want. This is a guy, a catcher, who can hit and is rated as one of the best defensive players, really, in baseball in terms of his framing. And others say he's a little weak on the pass balls. We saw that in the postseason. But his overall ratings as a catcher are extremely high, and he he kind of completes that lineup. Uh, there's a little question about Mustakas at second base in terms of defense. Um, but that keeps Travis Shaw where some somewhere where he is an outstanding defender at third base. Uh, I like that side of the ball. And then, you know, last year the rotation was considered an issue. This year they didn't really do that much to upgrade it, but Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns were outstanding in relief late in the season and into the postseason. Those guys were legitimate starting prospects that will now open the season in the starting rotation. So arguably the starting rotation has been upgraded because of that. However, the bullpen has taken a step backward because Corey Knebel has a UCL injury and could miss a significant part of the year, if not all of it. Uh, you've got Jeremy Jeffress starting the uh, the season with a weak shoulder issue. We don't know how long that's going to last. Hopefully not that long. But they also, Soria and Dan Jennings were guys who contributed last year who left via free agency. The bullpen is not what it was. Last year that was their calling card. This year it's not. Maybe that results in a more balanced uh, pitching staff, and and you see... You know, uh, Council let his starters go a little longer because he's relying on them more. And again, there's, there's young guys there. Freddie Peralta's 23, Woodruff and Burns are 26, 24. Zach Davies is 26. Um, I think, that, yes, there is opportunity for this team to take a step back with the pitching side, but their lineup is so good. And I think there's a lot of talent there in the pitching still. I think they're going to hold tight and be right in the
0: race the whole way. And they'll also will be getting Jimmy Nelson back this year. He had a big 2017 Missed most of last year, if not all of it, he's going to contribute to them as well and make the rotation better. So good for them there. The Cubs missed the division by one game. Obviously they're a team that we're seeing this extension craze. They have not been able to lock up Chris Bryant. Uh, They had locked up Rizzo once before, but he, not again, since that original contract. I think he's either up this year or next. They have not been able to get their guys under contract. They did not spend any significant money this year. The ownership, well, the ownership has kind of exposed themselves as unlikable uh, turds in some aspect, and they are <laughs> crying poor. So the Cubs are not not really doing anything to upgrade their team. They still have a very good team. They did extend, actually, they did extend Kyle Hendricks yesterday that came out. The Cubs are going from a lovable and uh, everybody was rooting for them to win when they were in the World Series to kind of what happened to the Red Sox where everybody hates them now.
1: There's also that sense that, you know, after 2016, everybody was like, look at how young this team is. Look at how good they are. This is a burgeoning dynasty. And now we're kind of at the point where everybody's saying is, did that not happen? Is it, are we already at the point where that did not happen? Um, and it's very possible that that is true. The big question for me on the Cubs is Chris Bryant's health and productivity. Uh, injuries really took him down significantly last year. Uh, only had four hundred and fifty-seven plate appearances, and and his production was way down. If he's healthy and can return to being Chris Bryant, that's huge for them. Uh, you know, the lineup is kind of intact otherwise. Uh, Daniel Discalso is a nice bench piece to that, that flip out with uh, Tommy Listella. The rotation, you know, it, th- there's not really a high end guy there. You've got a lot of age with Lester and Hamels, who are 35. Uh, Darvish, certainly, there's concern about him coming back from all the injury issues he dealt with last year. Quintana seems more like a middle of the pack guy. He's now 30. Kyle Hendricks, who really I think got a pretty lousy deal with that extension. He he's one guy who I think is underpaid. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a lot of excitement on the pitching side of things. They did add a couple of relievers in in Brock and S- Xavier Cedeno, and Tony Barnett. Uh, but you know, I, I feel like the Cubs, whatever opportunity they had there to be that dominant team in that division, in that league, in the game, has kind of slipped away, and they're kind of scratching and craw- uh, scratching and clawing at everybody else to, to kind of to
0: hang with. Yeah, and I do expect Darvish to be relatively healthy. I know he's dealing with a blister injury, but he's looked very good in spring when he has pitched. And the projection systems are down on them this year. I think that Pocota had them at 79 wins, or roughly thereabouts. I think they're going to beat that. I think they're going to be in contention. But yeah, it did seem like we were going to talk about this team as being a dynasty, and that didn't quite happen. But that doesn't mean that they can't contend and compete this year, and I do expect them, if they are in contention, to actually go out and make a move uh, around the all-star break, or around the trade deadline as well. The Cardinals added two significant pieces. They traded for... uh, Paul Goldschmidt, and they were able to extend him on a nice deal for them. They also signed Andrew Miller, who I think we're a little unsure is what we're getting with Miller, but if they get Miller of two years ago, then they're getting one of the premier relievers in the game. And Goldschmidt is one of the best hitters and has been one of the consistently best hitters in the game as well. So they made their team better. It's a team that still, they still have that, um, you know, Harrison Bader kind of came out of nowhere, What an elite defender, an elite base runner. They still seem able to pluck some guys seemingly out of nowhere and get production from them? Do you think that there's anyone on the roster that will take that step forward or be that quote-unquote Cardinals guy this year that they get big production from that no one saw coming?
1: Well, I don't know about nobody saw coming. I mean, everybody, there's a lot of hype around Jordan Hicks uh, because of his fastball and because of uh, some of his breaking pitches, but we haven't really fully seen that translate into on-field performance yet. He only struck out uh, 8.1 guys per nine innings last year. You know, he hasn't really dominated for quality of his stuff. We haven't seen him dominate. Be curious to see him take that step forward. But the guy, the guy. For me, on the Cardinals, obviously Goldschmidt is obvious. That's you're adding an uh, an MVP level player, and plus the extension, uh, that's huge for them overall, and, and I think puts them right back in that conversation as, as a team that could win the division. Uh, but the guy that I'm looking at is Alex Reyes, who a top prospect, who when he came up in 2016, pretty much dominated right away, but then Tommy John surgery and a lat strain last year put him on the shelf for for really almost two full seasons, he's going to start the season in the bullpen. He may stay in the bullpen. He could wind up closing or being some sort of, you know, multi-inning r- relief ace. Yes, Andrew Miller's an older guy, 34. He's big, tall, lanky guy who's had some knee issues. Uh, he's not as dominant as he has been. But I think compared to what the, what, you know, like say Brett Cec- Cecil or, s- or something, Brett Cecil or something like that, uh, he's certainly an upgrade. And when you put... Reyes and Miller and Hicks together. John Brebbia was kind of that Cardinals guy last year on some level in the bullpen. Um, I think there's a really nice bullpen there for the Cardinals. Jack Flaherty, as a rookie last year, was another guy who kind of stepped up and and seems to be ready to take another step forward. He's only 23. Um, You know, him and Mikolas, who they also extended, he's 30, came back from Japan, had a very nice season. the, The Cardinals roster is very well balanced. You know, Plus, just adding Goldschmidt as a, a centerpiece, I, I really like where they are. And, and again, having Mike Schilt for a full season for, for a number of years there with Mike Matheny in, in charge, uh, there was a sense that this team could be doing better even as they were constructed. Mike Schilt certainly seemed to make that happen when he came over. Um, and it'll be curious to see what he can do with the team for a full year.
0: The Pirates won 82 games last year. I think that surprised some people. It surprised me, certainly. I like their top of the rotation with Tyon and Archer, but I look at their whole roster and I do think they're going to have a hard time competing in this division, but I feel like they never went for it when McCutcheon was in his prime. They could have done a little more then, and now they're just kind of hanging around and um, will likely be a nuisance to some of the teams in that division, but I don't, see them, I don't see them being as bad as the Marlins, certainly, but I don't see them competing much this year.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree. I think, you know, there's there's a legitimate chance that this division could produce five teams uh, with 500 or better records, which has happened before. I think the last time was the uh, 2005 AL, or sorry, National League East. Um, but I feel like the Pirates are going to be a game or two under 500. That's kind of where I feel that they're going to, Finish up. They did some interesting stuff last year. They had made some midseason additions. They weren't necessarily a contending team, but they added they made the archer trade. They added Kaon Kayla to the bullpen. They made a few kind of in season additions that seemed like they were going to carry over to this year. But then over the off season, they didn't really do a whole lot. So yeah, they they kind of just kind of be hanging out in that, that middle area. They don't really have that kind of high-end prospect, you know, certainly uh, a tie-on is, is a very good pitcher. Josh Bell is a nice bat. Those guys are 26-27, but there's no budding superstar there. Um, Yeah, I, I don't even feel necessarily that the rebuild is coming. I just, like you say, stuck in the middle. That, that kind of feels like
0: what's going to happen with the Pirates for a while. The Reds were very active this offseason. They didn't acquire any elite-level talents. They didn't acquire Machado or Goldschmidt or Harper, but they did get a bunch of good players. They got Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood. They got uh, Tanner Roark and uh, Sonny Gray. Those are all good players who will make them better Big questions for them are still Nick Senzel got hurt again. He was seemingly had an opening. They sent him down even after Scooter Jeanette got hurt, and that's another loss in their opening day lineup. And Jeanette's going to be out for two to three months, but it seemed like Senzel, after they did the service time thing, would come up and be good. But he's hurt now, so that's a step back. And a big question for them is, what kind of Joey Votto are they getting? Joey Votto in 2017 was one of the better hitters in the league and last year he still led the league in on base percentage but the power was not there at all. They really need something closer to 2017 if they want to stay in the hunt all year. Yeah, that that's a very good question. He, this is his
1: age 35 season and like we were talking about with Cabrera earlier, you know, there's a point at which things start to decline for for a hitter of that quality, particularly a first baseman. Vado is, is a great hitter. We've seen power outages with him before and he's come back from them. Uh, I'm certainly not going to bet against Joey Votto's hitting ability. There's not an overall trend line that points down for him, but when you see that kind of power outage combined with the age, you begin to worry a little bit. So that combined with Jeanette being out for a while and all of a sudden what looked like it could be a very good lineup with the additions that they made. you know, Now you've got Jose Peraza moving over to second base and Jose Iglesias at shortstop for a couple months. Um, you know, maybe it's not quite as powerful. And Alex Wood is also starting the year injured with a back issue. So, you know, again, he's not a great pitcher, but he's a good pitcher. And, and they were awful in the rotation last year. So ha- adding Tanner Roark and Sonny Gray and Alex Wood seemed like it was going to upgrade things nicely there. Uh, but that's a kind of a ding into that as well. The other the curious thing about the what the Reds did in the offseason is they added a lot of guys who were kind of just one year. Guys, You know, and and maybe that's to make midseason trades, but, you know, they extended Sonny Gray, who was one of those guys. So so he's going to stick around. But uh, I believe Puig, Wood, Tanner Roark, and then they've got uh, Jeanette, I think, is a guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. A lot of what makes this team a little more interesting this year, theoretically, is going to go away at the end of the year. So if this is a one year kind of effort. It's kind of curious because they—they certainly, I don't think, are going to be able to hang with. The National League is so deep. Maybe in the American League, there's that that little second wild card spot that seems to be up for grabs every year. But the National League, there—we just talked about the top four teams in the East, really the top three teams in the Central, a couple teams in the West. Uh, the Reds aren't really going to be able to to crack that. So that kind of the the one year aspect. Zach Duke, another one, reliever that they added. It's curious to th- th- that they did it. But at the same time, as a baseball fan, maybe not so much as a Reds fan because you're thinking, well, where is this going to lead down the road? This seems like we're just spinning our wheels, although you can certainly enjoy this season. But as a baseball fan, it's fun to see a team like that say, you know what? Let's just make our team better. Who cares about the long-term plan? Let's just try to win
0: some more games this year. And, and they're, I think they're certainly going to do that. I completely agree with that. And this doesn't get said enough, and I feel like we need to say this. Joey Votto, future Hall of Famer. Yes, absolutely. Moving on to the National League West, the Los Angeles Dodgers, of course, coming out of back-to-back World Series appearances. The first one where they played the Astros was a heartbreaking loss. And then last year, they just got beat by the Red Sox. They got beat pretty hard. They are coming into a camp where Clayton Kershaw is being set back. He looks like things are going okay and he won't need surgery but his velocity wasn't there very early in the spring they have had some setbacks they did add AJ Pollock I don't know if we can expect another a seventh division title for them or a third straight World Series appearance but they'll still very much be in the mix because that depth is so strong yeah, I think depth is really the key with the Dodgers. They took a step back. You mentioned
1: adding AJ Pollock, but we just mentioned, you know, Matt Kemp and and Yazil Puig, who aren't there, and Yasmani Grandal. Those are three guys who all had a 120 OPS plus last year. And you know, when you're talking about guys that left a team, it doesn't matter so much what you expect them to do this year as much as the production that they had got from them last year and replacing that and that was something in the order of 1400 at bats of 120 ops plus and they signed aj pollock and added russell martin and that's just not going to replace that they they have a very talented team they have a very good team they're going to get Corey seager back but they did have manny machado for a while last year you know there, there's i think there's a step back in the lineup but they have depth in the lineup still with freeze and Jock Peterson and outs for Dugo on the bench. Uh, they have depth in the rotation. You know, they're probably maybe eight guys deep in the rotation. So when Rich Hill and Clayton Kershaw start the year on the disabled list, you still got Ryu uh, Walker Bueller, although I think he had some sort of injury issue in late in spring training Maeda, stripling Julio Urias had a fantastic spring training. Uh, Caleb Ferguson is in there. You know, you can keep on going down the line They've got a good bullpen. I think Kenley Jansen have him back. He had heart surgery and he's in fantastic shape, and I think still the best reliever in the league. Uh, they're a very good team. I do think that they'll win the division again, but they did. I think they have taken a, a slight step back.
0: Yeah, Kenley Jansen's spring velocity is a little bit of a concern, but I do expect Cody Bellinger to be a MVP caliber player. I hope that with Bellinger and the Dodgers are very into playing matchups and the platoon advantage, I think with Bellinger, don't platoon him out. You need to give him some at-bats for his lefties. When you're that good, don't worry about the platoon advantage. The Rockies did win 91 games last year. That was another team that sort of came out of nowhere. They had great pitching, which is not something we normally say about the Rockies, but Marquez and Freeland had had both had excellent years for them. I don't know how repeatable either of those are. I'd actually bet more on Freeland having another year like that than I would Marquez. Uh, They have an interesting battle at second base going on between Ryan McMahon and Garrett Hampson, two very different types of players. McMahon is a power bat who is not great defensively. Hampson is a speed guy who is considered a very good defender as well. He also can play in some of the outfield positions there. Both have been really good in the spring, so it seems like they're going to get a good player either way. I do think the Rockies will take a little bit of a step back, but I don't think they're going to go back far enough that they won't be in contention.
1: I think the issue with the Rockies, again, I think the Dodgers are going to win this division. So the question with the Rockies is, can they get a wildcard spot against all of those talented teams in the East and the Central? And I'm not sure that they can. Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story are MVP level players. Um, David Dahl came on strong last year. He's still just 25. I think he adds another quality young bat. Uh, Daniel Murphy. Uh, I don't know exactly what you're gonna get out of him at 34, but the fact that they're playing him at first base and not second suggests, you know, some improvement in the, you know, that they're they're mindful of his skills <laughs> defensively. But then, and and the same thing with Charlie Blackman, they've moved him into right, but now they put Ian Desmond in center, and as much as he made a kind of a smooth transition to the outfield when he went to the Rangers, he was much better in a corner than he was in center, so I'm not so sure that that's necessarily going to be a defensive upgrade for them at all. I like, Marquez had outstanding peripherals last year, so I'm pretty optimistic about him being able to repeat. I think Freeland might actually be the guy who comes back a little bit more, but still, at 24-26, those are good young pitchers. John Gray, 27, I think, you know, he could be, you know, he had he struggled at times last year. There, there could be good things happening there. The bullpen lost out of Vino, didn't really replace him, so so that's a bit of an issue. The Rockies are, are a good team. I'm just
0: not quite sure they're a playoff team. The Diamondbacks are another team that is in the unfortunate position of being stuck in the middle. I expect them to try and unload Zach Greinke's contract. It's a lot to take on mid-year, but I think that Come the trade deadline, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the big targets, especially since he'll only have two and a half years left at that point. They still, I still like Robbie Ray. They lost Goldschmidt, which is a big, big loss that obviously you can't really replace. Steven Souza, we just found out, is going to be out for the year, so that's tough luck right there. It's just hard to see the Diamondbacks doing anything beyond going 500 be a great year for them.
1: Yeah, they were very close to that last year. Now, this is another team that was in first place on September 1st last year and then just kind of collapsed at the end. But what collapsed at the end was the offense. And for that to happen, and then you trade Paul Goldschmidt and let A.J. Pollock leave as a free agent, I don't see how you dig out of that. Uh, Souza didn't contribute much to them last year. So as much as that is a loss relative to what they were expecting – it's, you know, you're not losing production that you got last year. He was bad in a limited number of at bats for them last year. Uh, but but this is a team that has clearly taken a step back. They also lost Patrick Corbin, which is a big I mean, that was a, a Cy Young candidate last year, uh, their best pitcher. So those three guys that are gone, and as you know, they the trade that they made with Goldschmidt kind of had to happen. If they weren't going to try to contend this year, it, it was either go all in for his last year, try to extend him, which I obviously would have loved to have seen them do. Uh, but having not done that, they made a trade. They got Carson Kelly, a good young catcher. But I I just, you know, this is a, a disappointing thing for a team that was in first place in September of last year. For them to take this big of a step backward uh, is certainly a frustration, I think, for Diamond Back fans and baseball fans in general.
0: Yeah, and I agree, and their bullpen has the potential to blow up on them. They named Greg Holland the closer. He's been throwing low 90s. He got hit really hard last year. I like Bradley, and I like Hirano, but Holland in the in the closer role, I think that could really hurt them as well. Uh, something else that's not said enough, Zach Greinke, future Hall of Famer. i got to take a closer look, but he's definitely in the conversation. The Giants this year... I think they brought in Farhan Zahidi, which is a great move for them to sort of lead what will be a rebuild. I don't expect them to tear it down to the bottom just because of their market size and because of the team that they have. I do think they're going to trade Madison Baumgartner at the deadline. They have some other pieces that they may look to move as well. But for the most part, I think the Giants are going to do what they can, try and pick up some wins. But that outfield is very bad, and if Baumgartner is hurt or not effective, they have the potential to actually get very bad very fast.
1: Yeah, this is an unfortunate situation for Bruce. what is going to be Bruce Bochy's final year. Uh, speaking of future Hall of Famers, Bruce Bochi future Hall of Famer and I think he could be I think the third Hall of Fame manager with a career losing record after Connie Mack who had one because he managed for 50 years because he owned the team and uh, Bucky Harris who was kind of a questionable induction Uh, but I think Bruce Birchy is going to deserve to go in but he's going to go in with a losing record because he already has one and this team is not going to be good this year you know for Giants fans you still got Belt and Posey and Crawford and Bumgarner. i do think that with the change in general manager that you are going to see uh the finally the ability to move on from from bum not necessarily that they need to move on but there's a guy with a lot of innings under him on a team that's not going anywhere he's 29 he's gotten hurt each of the last two years if he's good in the first half i think they absolutely need to cash him in and uh you know the, the giants horizon is pretty far off in the future uh for fans who are still you know You've got those that handful of guys from that recent string of championships and you've got those memories. You're going to have to hold
0: on to those for a while. And the San Diego Padres will be the last team we hit on. And the San Diego Padres, news came out today that Fernando Tatis Jr. is actually going to make the opening day roster. So they're doing the right thing there, actually bringing their best players ahead and not doing any blatant service time manipulation. Good for them there. They obviously signed Machado. I mean, just having Tatis and Machado for a full year will make them significantly better. I really like their, their one of their pitchers and Chris Paddock, Their pitching staff as a whole, though, is still very thin, and I think they're going to need to bolster their starting rotation and their bullpen if they actually want to compete this year or next. Yeah, the the
1: the, the Padres were a legitimate sixty six win team last year. They're going to take a big step forward because of those guys you mentioned. But you know, Tatis and Paddock are guys who haven't played above double A yet. Now, Tatis is. Uh, talent is I think unquestionable and I think he'll actually make a fairly smooth transition I'm surprised to see them make that move but I'm certainly not disappointed by it um, as far as Paddock you know, he's a guy who had Tommy John surgery a few years back, uh, sp- split last year between high A and double A. So that the fact that he could be in the opening day rotation to me is really a, a big surprise. He only threw 90 innings last year with a team that I don't think is really going to contend this year. Although, again, they should take a big step forward. It's very surprising to me that they would bring him up and have him be in the opening day rotation. To me, you put him in triple A, you get him stretched out and, you know, you let that line up. Work this year with Machado and Tatis and Franmil Reyes, and you know figure out your outfield situation with Franchi Cordero or Hunter Renfro or Will Myers or Manuel Margot, whoever you have. You've got a lot of guys there. Your catching situation with Hedges and Mejia. You know there's just a ton of talent on that side of the ball. But to me, you figure that out this year, and then you can kind of do something on the pitching in the offseason, and next year you make that leap into contention. I still think that's the way it's going to happen in terms of their winning. It's going to be maybe hopefully around 500 this year and then hopefully contend next year. But I don't
0: understand rushing Paddock as a part of that. Before we wrap it up, Cliff, just give me your World Series prediction. Who makes it? Who wins it?
1: Well, I just wrote these two articles for The Athletic, the best of everything in the AL, best of everything in the NL, you know, like best team, best base runner, best this, that, the other thing. Um, and I had for the best team in the AL, the Yankees, although certainly there's some injury concerns and in youth and things. There's a lot of variability, as we talked about before. I had the best team in the NL, the Nationals. And again, the Nationals tend to disappoint. So both are kind of precarious picks, but those are my best ofs going into the season. So I've got to pick those. And in terms of who wins it, uh, I think if they actually get
0: there, I think the Nationals could take it. I'm going to go with Yankees and Phillies with the Yankees winning it. How about that? Cliff, thank you so much for the extended time. You've been listening to Cliff Corcoran. Cliff is a writer for The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Cliff
1: Corcoran. Cliff, thanks so much. Uh, happy to do it anytime. Looking forward to the season.